0: In the name of the one God, who is lover, beloved, and love overflowing. Individual salvation is one of the great heresies of contemporary Christianity, and it lies at the root of so much of the trouble in which we find ourselves, individually, communally, and as an American and a world people it's easy to see it in the yard signs of various political persuasions that say essentially God or Jesus or science or loving compassion are on my side and forget the rest of you if you're not on board with it. It's much harder, however, to see this spiritual cancer in ourselves and in the small ways we dismiss or condemn, or seek to control those people God has brought into our lives to share and expand and enrich our sense of God's beloved community. I know that I sigh heavily every time I open the dishwasher and see the mess that one of my brothers has made of the carefully arranged dishes I have put in there. Your focus may be the speed or slowness at which people drive, or the views they hold on marriage, or their irresponsibility with finances or deadlines. Or maybe it drives you nuts how uptight and controlling some of your fellow passengers in this great ride of life can be. I don't mean to trivialize these differences that provoke us, Sometimes, often perhaps, they revolve around very real differences in the way we value human and planetary life. Is climate change real? Does the preservation of other species matter? How about black lives, trans lives, women's lives? What about the rural poor? or the refugees swirling the globe, fleeing war and famine. These differences and the ways they lead us to act or not act have real consequences for real people. They can mean the difference between life and death for someone, or sometimes for some millions of someones. How we act and how we believe matters. What matters even more, though, is how we love or refuse to love. All three of this morning's readings focus on the obstacles to reconciliation and harmony in the community of faith. So important is harmony that Jesus tells his disciples not even to think of approaching the altar— if they suspect their brother or sister has a gripe with them. Forget about correcting or controlling others. Jesus doesn't seem to care who's actually right in the situation, which is very vexing for someone like me. Reconciliation, not adherence to my sense of correct behavior or belief, is of primary importance. Sin is nothing more or less than the turning away from the loving, indwelling presence of God to seek our own salvation by our own means. Yes, as Jesus reminds us, our eyes and our hands prompt us to turn away from God. We certainly all know the power of advertising— to woo us into believing that the buy-it-now button on Amazon will fulfill the nagging need in our hearts. And by the way, for you non-monastics, it's no different in a monastery. You know, I pick up the mail, so I see the packages rolling in day by day, and many of them have my own name on them. We all scratch that spiritual itch in unhealthy ways. And these compulsions are what Moses is talking about when he says, Your heart turns away, and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them. In their essence, these compulsions are ways that we set ourselves up as God that we seek our own salvation by our own means, as if we could somehow make our lives full and complete and total, alone. That's why they lie at the root of sin. And yet, perhaps the greatest distraction or hurdle to our spiritual lives is the temptation to judge and condemn and control Although we may notice this poison in the way we treat others or the way others treat us, it arises first in relationship to ourselves. How many of us know the sting of self-condemnation, which, by the way, is not the same thing as genuine compunction. Compunction comes from a place of humility and self-acceptance, but self-condemnation, like self-righteousness, is based on grandiosity. We focus on all those aspects of ourselves and our lives that we think do not belong, and we work to excise or reform those parts without reliance on God and God's judgment. As hard as we are on ourselves, we are just as hard on others, applying our own distorted sense of right and wrong, as if somehow God had specially enlightened us to remake the world and other people in our own image. You'll notice Jesus never tells his disciples to judge anyone for anything, instead, he tells them to love and more particularly, to love those they would call their enemies. And as much as Jesus urges us to work for justice, much more does he counsel mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Because justice without mercy is tyranny, no matter whose definition of justice we're working with. As one example of this dynamic civil rights activist and theologian Ruby Sales, reflects on the quickness of progressive white Christians, of whom I am one, to condemn those who disagree with them. She asks, what is it that public theology can say to the white person in Massachusetts who is heroin addicted? I don't hear anyone speaking to the 45-year-old person in Appalachia, who feels like they've been eradicated because whiteness is so much smaller today than it was yesterday. Because there's nothing wrong with being European-American. That's not the problem. It's almost like white people don't believe that other white people are worthy of being redeemed. Who is worthy? Is it you? Me? those who act or think or pray like us, those people with the right yard signs or the right voting record or the right beliefs on whatever issues drive us,